Welcome to Telehealth Talk. I'm Erin Bush, Director of the South Central Telehealth Resource Center, sitting in for Sarah and Delbert, who are outspreading the good worth of telehealth. Today, Dr. R.J. Elbin joins us to talk about the possibilities and potential of using telemedicine to aid sports injuries, specifically concussions. Dr. Elbin is the Director of the Office for Sport Concussion Research, and he is also an Assistant Professor of Exercise Science at the University of Arkansas. So thanks for joining us, Dr. Elbin. We're Thank glad you. to have you. Thank you. So let's start. Uh, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about your background in concussion research and exercise science. Yeah, so I've, <clears throat> I've been studying concussion uh, for almost, uh, for over 10 years now. And um, I, I got into concussion research as a master's student uh, way back when in, in 2005 at the University of New Orleans. Um, I, I paired up with a, uh, I had a professor kind of take me under his wing and uh, his name was Dr. Anthony Contos, who's the current research director at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Sport Concussion Program. And uh, from there we, <clears throat> we did a, a small study with concussion looking at uh, aerobic fitness levels and uh, concussion recovery in high school football players. Uh, that was my first experience with this injury and I've, I've stayed with it. Um, I, I later uh, left University of New Orleans, um, finished my PhD in sports psychology from uh, Michigan State University where I studied under Dr. Tracy Kovacin who's done some great work in this field as well. And um, from there I completed, uh, actually joined back up with Dr. Anthony Contos when uh, he's now at University of Pittsburgh. He was at the University of New Orleans uh, at that time, but I completed a two-year research fellowship there, a clinical research fellowship at University of Pittsburgh, um, where we were in, you know, I was in the hospital and we were, we were uh, conducting several clinical studies, um, examining uh, different types of predictors for recovery outcomes with um, athletes with concussion. And then now I've brought uh, my experience and, and uh, my knowledge to Northwest Arkansas at the University of Arkansas and currently direct the Office for Sport Concussion Research. We are so glad to have you in the system here. And I have to say, when I, I look up concussion research, I see your name, and it's Dr. Contos? Contos, yes, Anthony Contos, yeah. yeah. The two of you are either first or second author on, on so <laughs> many publications, so I, I'm really excited to have an expert here. So for our listeners who don't know, can you tell us what a concussion is and how it affects athletes on and off the field? That's a great question. Um, you know, the, the textbook definition for concussion is a, uh, uh, is a complex uh, pathophysiological process uh, that, that, that affects the brain. Now, the, the, an easier definition to think about concussion, you know, the word concussion means to shake violently. And, and really what happens um, when someone sustains a concussion, uh, the, the head, the skull, is accelerated or decelerate, decelerated in a very abrupt fashion. It basically causes the brain to move and slosh around very violently inside the skull. Now the brain will make contact with the uh, underside of the skull. Um, some, some clinicians to, to kind of give a, a depiction or a visual for this, you think about an, an egg yolk inside of an eggshell. So the eggshell being the skull, the yolk being the brain, and the egg white being the fluid that your brain sits in, the cerebrospinal fluid. And when that happens, um, your brain um, undergoes a series of cellular changes. Um, and the brain fixes that, those cellular uh, imbalances. Um, and uh, it uses up all its energy, and it wants more energy, and it can't get energy due to the impaired blood vessels in the brain. And so we think of concussion as an energy problem. Concussion has roots 
as a, as a metabolic injury. So it's a, it's a supply-demand crisis of the brain. So if you can think of um, a normal brain functions in terms of gas mileage like a very efficient hybrid car. However, after concussion, the brain finds itself having the gas mileage similar to that of a gas-guzzling pickup truck, that, or, or even better yet, a Winnebago or a motorhome that gets about nine miles to the gallon. <laughs> and usually, you know, following, following these events, the brain finds itself in, in d- dips into this depressed state of functioning where we'll see some symptoms and impairments. So uh, we think uh, what we've learned from research is that this injury can um, has cognitive effects such as memory problems, attention, learning, processing speed, decreased reaction time, um, and we can measure that with different types of assessment tools. Um, in addition, concussion can also have a, a psychology part to it, whereas you may have um, some depressed mood, um, maybe increased anxiety, maybe some increased symptoms of depression, whether they be short-lived or more, more pronounced. Um, in addition, concussion can cause an athlete to have, or anyone for that matter, to have sleep problems. Um, it can also have balance and dizziness problems as well. And what we're learning from research is, is how do these symptoms, and every concussion is different, and that's what's very, somewhat, sometimes very challenging um, to managing this injury from a clinical standpoint, and even studying this injury, is that everyone's brain's different, so it should be no surprise that every concussion is different. It should be managed, it should be assessed, managed, and treated as its own individual injury. There's no cookie cutter approach to really um, managing um, a concussion. That is fascinating. I mean, I really did not know any of that. <laughs> and now I want to go home and shake a bunch of eggs and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't scramble them. I will, I will not <laughs> scramble any of those eggs. No, that's interesting. And, I, and almost, like, can I say something else? Yeah, like, you know, we, we talk about uh, that whole shaking of the egg thing. And, and really, um, one of the, the, the major cautions with concussion is those chemical changes that happen in the brain, uh, they're actually exacerbated in, in adolescent brains and youth brains, young, young kids, so brains that are still developing. Um, what we learned from animal model research is that, is that those changes that happen in the brain, the, the developing brain is more sensitive to some of those changes. And that's why we proceed with extreme caution and we often take the high road, the conservative approach to when in doubt, sit them out uh, when referring to high school and youth athletes because their brains are still developing. And it's important that we give uh, the brain time to recover um, to avoid catastrophic consequences if that brain were to get another concussion on top of another one. Um, that's the worst case scenario. So I'm going to ask you a couple things. First of all, why do you think it's exacerbated in children? I mean, is it chemical? And then the second part of that is adult athletes were child athletes. Yeah. So, you know, what's the trajectory? Well, the traje- well first of all, the, the, some of the reasons that have been put forth uh, in, the, in the literature um, to explain this hypersensitivity to the, the, what we call the neurometabolic cascade in younger, um, younger athletes is, is the thought that the, the developing brain is more sensitive to one of the more predominant neurotransmitters that's released in this cascade, glutamate. Okay. Um, and, and really, it's, it's less sensitive than an older brain. So really, we kind of uh, resort back to explaining this, whereas your, your, your brain is still developing, and, and in the event that there has been a concussion, um, we want to avoid um, additional trauma until that brain, until the brain heals. Um, most importantly, we want to manage it appropriately. We want to make sure that that uh, rehabilitation. Um, you know, we've come a very, very long way. And you kind of your the second part of your question is, you know, adult athletes also mostly have maybe have had a history of concussion before. 
Um, and, and really what we're starting to study and, and evaluate is uh, proper management. You know, we've been lumping concussions in the science, um, you know, in the literature, all in one group and studying them. Well, not every concussion is managed appropriately. Sometimes kids lie. We think that, you know, 50 <laughs> really? to 60% of all these injuries go, go undetected um, for various reasons. Sometimes athletes don't want to leave the game. Um, other times they, they aren't aware of the signs and symptoms. They don't want to let their teammates down and they're afraid of someone taking their spot, which are all valid reasons. Um, being a former athlete, I can certainly identify and understand those motives for not, you know, saying anything. However, you know, the whole playthrough pain culture and, and the idea of, you know, taping it up and, and, you know, keep running on their sprained ankle. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably okay, mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about an ankle, but it's, it's really not okay once you think about it when we're talking about a brain injury. That makes sense. Is there a difference between boys and girls? Uh, yeah, there, there have, um, well, I say yes. Uh, there, there, some studies uh, have shown that girls are more susceptible to concussion and, and demonstrate um, higher or report increased symptoms than males and also take longer to recover recover from concussion. Um, that's It's currently being debated in mm -hmm. the literature. Some There's been a handful of studies that support sex differences, girls being worse than, than boys in terms of their risk and their recovery time, um, having prolonged recovery time. But then there have, it hasn't been consistently found or reported in the literature. So. Uh, to err on the side of caution, we, we think that girls are more susceptible to these injuries. Um, some of the reasons for that, um, smaller, smaller craniums, um, uh, in addition, uh, weaker neck muscles. Um, you know, uh, if you think of sports played by both sexes, girls and boys soccer, girls and boys basketball, uh, some of the same forces that girls um, are uh, are uh, exposed to are the same as boys. So they may get, you know, a soccer ball kicked at X number of miles per hour is gonna be headed by a girl just like a boy. And uh, in addition, you know, some have said that girls are more forthright oh. <laughs> in telling us how they're feeling. And, well, that's you know. a possibility. And I, I understand uh, soccer, uh, has a, a high rate of concussion actually. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the it's it's one of the top um, in terms of when we think of just the incidence rates of concussion. Uh, cheerleading is, is up there as well. That's yeah. gotten some some press lately um, and some media coverage on, on some of the incidence rates. And and we're constantly um, as sci you know as scientists. Um, I have some colleagues, Dr. Kravassen at Michigan State has a paper uh, coming out here. Just we're constantly reexamining. Um, the, the data we're getting from high schools and the NCAA um, at all levels. Because every, every injury, um, well, we would like every injury to be logged and recorded. And we're looking at, you know, we're taking a retrospective view and looking at, you know, how is concussions changing? We're educating folks. We're educating athletes. We've changed rules. What's happening to the, to the incidence rates of this injury? Is it going up? Is it going down? You know, what can we, what can we do to kind of mitigate those those rates. And are you logging those? Are you creating a registry of some sort nationally? There, yeah, there, there are some, some different injury surveillance programs that are out there uh, for college, uh, sports medicine professionals working at the college ranks, um, and then also, you know, in secondary schools and in the high schools as well. Okay, fantastic. So talk to me as a former athlete and coach, what have you seen and experienced uh, related to concussions firsthand that you, you want to think, you know, how, about how dangerous it was? Well, I I was. Um, Is there like one that sticks out in your mind? Like as a as a player, as, as me. You know, well, there, I've gotten my I've gotten my fair share. You know, it's it's funny. 
Um, I graduated high school in 1997, and I played multiple sports in, in high school. And one of the sports that I played, I was a high school quarterback, and, and uh, we actually ran the option. So those listeners out there that know anything about the uh, that type of an offense, the quarterback usually is, is not upright uh, <laughs> most of the time. And, and back then, I don't ever remember anyone. Concussion was never part of the part of the conversation. There are periods of games that I do not remember. Um, wow. And but I've never had one diagnosed. You know the uh, just never said anything. I you know I so thought you've never you've never been checked for one. Uh, no, not not the time that I've had it you're happen. Kidding. Yeah, so you're kidding. So you're this is your field of work. Yeah. Do you ever think? I just want to get in an MRI and see what my brain. Well, I've like. had my brain looked at, but but you know, I I would like to think that I've recovered. I've recovered, um, but uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know, there there has been a culture shift. There has, and and really, we've when I say we, you know, again, the the outreach and the research community that's involved with you know, such as the CDC. Um, there's various organizations, Moms Team, um, outreach organizations that it's their job. To, and it's their their call to, to put uh, forth um, educational materials. I mean, we want every coach, athlete, and parent, and even physicians, um, to be educated on exactly what this is and and how we can how we can detect uh, these injuries. And what's really difficult is I, I forgot to, you know I always say, uh, and some of my colleagues as well, you know, concussion is the last one to show up to the party. And that's an interesting way of thinking about this injury is what make what makes the diagnosis um, very, you know, sometimes challenging is sometimes we don't always see concussion on the sideline. And some of the symptoms and what we've learned from research is symptoms wax and wane, they change. Some appear later than others. So really we're looking at a, di- at a confirmed diagnosis within 24 to 72, maybe even up to 72 hours. Um, because a lot of things can give an athlete a headache. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about a high school athlete, whether they didn't sleep, they didn't eat lunch that day, they didn't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's many different factors and variables that, that go into this. And I know I kind of resorted back. I, I thought that was an important message to get no, out to the, really to the listening. Is. But talk to us, step us through it. Um, you suspect, well, you see somebody have a direct hit. There's helmet-to-helmet sure. helmet contact. Yeah. And so automatically you're suspicious. What are the things that need to happen? Well, and that's that's interesting too, Just just to kind of – kind of what you said here, helmet-to-helmet contact. Could you be suspicious? Yes. Is every helmet-to-helmet contact a concussion? No. Is every headache that's reported on a sideline uh, a concussion? No. Um, there's, there's more than just that piece of the puzzle. And, and, I, and I think that the pendulum will swing back to, you know, there's a lot of hysteria surrounding this injury. But, um, but you know, a suspected concussion, uh, typically when it happens on the field, one of the things that we want to know is, what are the what are the on-field markers of this injury? And and on by on-field markers, there there's some symptoms um, that we know predict longer recovery, actually greater than 21 days. And some of those are, if you think about you know being knocked out cold, loss of consciousness, right? Actually, on-field dizziness, and we we commonly see this was a a stronger predictor for protracted recovery than vomiting and/or loss of consciousness. This really? was a, yeah, and and really one of the reasons that we think is it actually when you experience loss of consciousness, you're taken out of the game, mm-hmm. and it's more conservative management. Whereas on-field dizziness can go undetected, um, it can go unreported, um, but but really there's this whole new area that we're assessing with concussion that involves. Uh, the vestibular and ocular motor system. So it's a management issue. 
It's can not be, that yeah. the dizziness is necessarily more dangerous. It's just that it tends to be more undetected. We're trying to tease that out, but really what we're what we're learning um, is that that dizziness may represent an underlying dysfunction of, the, of what we call the vestibular system, which some of these athletes then will try to go to school. Busy environments bother them. They can't. Uh, their eyes don't work in relation to the, the where the brain thinks they are in time and space. Uh, gaze stability is off. They have trouble reading. They have trouble uh, taking notes, and that all exacerbates their symptoms. And really, what we're trying to do is categorize some of these some of these athletes into different profiles. Mm -hmm. Just like every concussion is different, however, we do see patterns and we do see trends. Some some concussions have more predominant sleep type of a presentation. So we're gonna manage and we're gonna have targeted treatments and targeted therapies to address the underlying um, aberrant signal that we see in the brain. That is incredible. But I didn't. I never finished the, the, no, the whole yeah, keep, front to back. I, you know, you <laughs> kind of jogged my, my mind. But no, I mean, usually, you know, athlete gets a suspected concussion, is evaluated on the sideline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and there you, you have some differences, you know, in terms of, of policies at the professional ranks versus the college ranks versus, you know, secondary school, high school ranks and youth. Um, there's some, some different, you know, we're dealing with very different populations right. of, of patients yes. and athletes there at that point. But, but really, you know, to confirm diagnosis usually happens, um, they'll, they'll uh, report, you know, concussion symptoms, no same day remove, no same day return to play, so immediate removal. Um, and, uh, and in addition, um, that athlete will be evaluated objectively. You know, we have objective tests where we can actually put scores to how the memory performance is, how much dizziness you're feeling, how your eyes are moving, how your balance, your postural sway. So we're using objective tests in addition to tell me how you're feeling. Is this Which, some sort of validated tool that you're using? Um, there, there are uh, validated tools um, out there, and, and really what's recommended for the management of this injury is that, that the clinician has a toolbox. You know, we talk about having a multifaceted assessment approach where we're assessing, I mean, the brain's a complex mm -hmm. organ, so, you know, having one, there's no one test mm -hmm. that's uh, uh, advised to be used in isolation for assessing the effects of a concussion. So, so what would you have in your toolbox? Well, I would definitely have, um, I would have some sort of a cognitive, objective cognitive test, um, a brief cognitive test. Um, I would also have um, a vestibular and also an ocular motor assessment. Um, I would also have a very thorough clinical um, exam um, with an accompanying concussion history, a very thorough concussion history. Um, and that clinical, clinical exam would, would have um, a very thorough patient history in terms of some of the risk factors that we know um, can influence recovery, um, such as a migraine history, such as concussion history, um, you know, age, sex, uh, motion sickness, uh, family history of migraine, um, any kind of pre-existing dizziness problems. I mean, some of those, uh, some of my colleagues um, uh, have often said, you know, concussion plays dirty. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I mean, um, you know, oftentimes our brain will, will compensate um, for certain you know, everyday pre-existing conditions and impairments that we may not even know we have. Mm -hmm. However, once that brain becomes concussed, all of a sudden you're exposed to having, maybe you're, you know, um, uh, you, you suffer from headaches, but post-concussion you have migraines or your headaches become worse. Mm -hmm. So it kind of turns the volume up on, on what you, your brain suppresses on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's really kind of interesting to look at that, but we, we really want to use data now um, so when an athlete gets a concussion, 
Um, we're, we're moving toward, you know, from a wait and see approach to management to more of an active management approach where we're bringing that athlete in. I, you know, we want to see data. Are you getting better? Where are you getting better in terms of what domains? Uh, what domains aren't you showing improvement? And how can we address those domains? And really, um, you know, there was a, a recent meeting in, at Pittsburgh um, where I was very fortunate to be one of uh, 36 other experts invited and, and we sat around and, and voted on various uh, topics of uh, clinical agreement. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this entire meeting was about treatment and many physicians, parents, coaches, and even athletes believe that, well, you have a concussion, there's really nothing we can do. That's not true. Right. Concussion is treatable. So tell me about what, what you do to treat it. Well, first of all, uh, the, the treatment approach, and, and, and again, um, you know, we're, we're, we're filling this and we're, we're starting to vet this out empirically mm -hmm. um, to understand what's the best treatment for concussion. Um, it was interesting, we, you know, we had a group of, of clinicians and researchers in a room, and, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the surprising things that, that I recognized that, wow, everyone in here is treating concussion but how often have they ever gotten in a room and actually talked about how they're treating their own respective patients? Consensus is an yeah, interesting thing when you get everybody yeah. together, isn't and it? And we talk about that all the time in science, and, and you know, we go to these professional conferences, but yet most of the, most of the work gets done over, you know, over dinner and drinks, uh -huh. you know, and, and <laughs> rather than the lobby of the conference room. So, so this, was, this was one of those meetings that, we, that folks always talked about having, and we, we actually pulled it off. Um, and um, interestingly, you know, the treatment process and what was agreed upon is, is first of all, understanding what profile you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, if we understand, you know, whether it's a mood, a cognitive fatigue type of a migraine type concussion um, or a vestibular or an ocular motor or maybe even a, you know, a sleep type uh, presentation of this injury, like a predominant profile, you know, we, we know what specialist to refer to. Um, if it's migraine, we're going to try to get you uh, in front of someone that, that treats migraines and, and, and move forward like that. So, you know, the treatment, there's, there's different types of therapies, um, vestibular therapy. We're starting to see more research um, being published on the efficacy of vestibular therapy, um, which is a subspecialty of, of uh, you know, vestibular therapists can be a subspecialty of physical therapy. Um, there's also exertional and even cognitive therapy, so sometimes clinical psychologists uh, psychiatrists can get involved um, in, involved with the injury depending on on how that athlete is progressing and mm -hmm. it's a, it's kind of a moving target if you will so. so let's let's take a step back to the sideline mm -hmm. I know in Arkansas we have uh, academic I'm sorry we have uh, athletic coordinators at the sidelines are you referring to athletic coordinators or athletic trainers well we have somebody help me here so is it the trainers we have we've somebody at the sidelines that's supposed to be spotting and, and trying to assist with this yeah um th there are athletic trainers um mm -hmm. at some of the high schools um here in arkansas and of course we're, we're trying to get more on the sideline um as as is every other state in the country it seems but um yeah there there is or there should be hopefully there there's someone with some sort of medical training mm -hmm. um for not only concussion but more severe more severe right, injuries such exactly. as a neck or you know something like that so let's say you have athletic trainers or somebody who's trained to spot it versus a telemedicine program where you could consult with a concussion specialist at the sideline mm -hmm. what would be your preference and why hmm well um i think that an athletic trainer if the school had a I'm an employed athletic trainer. One of the advantages of having a, an actual body there is that, is that 
you know, understanding concussion and knowing, you know, what behaviors may be assessed on that sideline, it's important to have, you know, those athletic trainers are at an advantage, even more so than a than the referring MD mm-hmm. or the, the MD that gets the referral um, or whatever sports medicine clinician that that, that is referred, uh, you know, the injury because that athletic trainer is with that that athlete every single day. I know. So and should we have both? Is it? Is it? I mean, in the event that we could get specialty referral, mm-hmm. so if we have an athletic trainer there, um, if we didn't have an athletic trainer there, to have some sort of way to to use telemedicine to actually contact a medical professional with training for concussion evaluation is paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, is critical. And is there how much? How many percent of the population do you think? would benefit from that. I mean, we don't have athletic trainers at every... Well, 100%. I mean, if you have someone that can actually... I mean, that's... uh, If you have someone that can actually evaluate Mm -hmm. a a young athlete for a suspected head injury versus no evaluation, um, I mean, you know, not to... You know, 100. <laughs> that's that's a that I'm would be a great. I'm just you know, how many we have uh, versus uh, how I don't, many we need. We need more than we have. I know that uh, much. Well, um, I agree. <laughs> and uh, I don't. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know the exact number, and I, I don't want to misquote that. Oh, um, but um, but you know, interestingly enough, um, having you know having that uh, you know some sort of way to connect. Um, even if you had an athletic trainer there, that doesn't mean that you're gonna that athletic trainer is gonna be able to uh, refer mm-hmm. someone to a specialist. That specialist may not be in town, right? Right. So this is where you know some of the work that I'm doing and and kind of bring this full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm hopefully you know uh, will be successful in piggybacking on the existing infrastructure of telemedicine in Arkansas, and hopefully we connect some of these outer lying areas um, with. Uh, the appropriate medical provider that has specialized training in concussion. I think that's really exciting. Now, just final words, I'd I'd love for you to tell us very briefly about um, the data that you are collecting and how you think telehealth is going to assist in uh, your research. Yeah, well, one of the things, you know, one of the predominant um, aims of my research is to track concussions. Mm -hmm. And actually, and you know, we can only drive so far you know, as researchers and even clinicians. Um, however, you know, we were, we rolled out a, a preliminary study at the University of Arkansas in partnership with UAMS and also Arkansas Children's Hospital. Um, there's a there's a clinic in Lowell. Dr. Damon Lipinski is a is a pediatric clinical neuropsychologist, and um, he sees patients with concussion. And one of the things we wanted to do uh, was uh, conduct a study, which is currently ongoing. We're about halfway through data collection, um, just looking at the feasibility and um, patient outcomes such as uh, rapport being established. Um, Can the clinical interview for concussion be conducted via telemedicine, Mm -hmm. uh, via the the actual equipment, via video conference? Um, And that's really what we're measuring. Um, We have a certain criteria of patients that are coming in the door, um, those that qualify you know, um, have agreed to participate, and we get provider and also patient ratings on different measures, um, and, and hopefully uh, we have agreement with those measures in, in two different conditions, um, telehealth condition and also a, a face-to-face condition. So, um, you know, I look forward to wrapping that study up here in the next couple of, uh, maybe the next month or so once, uh, you know, we're, we're getting back into sessions. So, um, you know, hopefully that'll drive a, a bigger grant, maybe a uh, and, and we can actually kind of roll that out across the state. If there's anybody listening who wants to give him money. <laughs> <laughs> well, re- researchers always want money. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, it, it costs money to do research. And, it does. And it's, uh, but this you know. is a valuable uh, 
valuable piece that you're doing. So sure. we look forward to following it and seeing how it comes out. And of course, I, I want to put in a plug, Dr. Elbin is going to be at our South Central Telehealth Forum talking about teleconcussion and talking about concussion with uh, a panel there. So please come, come see him and, and pick his brain. Ask him, uh, maybe do an assessment on him yeah. <laughs> since we haven't done that. So let's keep the conversation going. You can follow us on Twitter at Telehealth Talk, or if uh, 140 characters isn't enough, go ahead and leave us a message at telehealthtalk at gmail.com. For all Apple users, uh, if you'd like to know when a new Telehealth Talk episode is uploaded, all you have to do is subscribe to our RSS feed in the Apple Podcast app. It's really easy. So um, in the podcast app, enter Telehealth Talk in the search bar. When the search results pop up, you'll see that we are the first podcast on the list. From there, all you have to do is touch the Telehealth Talk icon and then uh, touch subscribe. So it's pretty easy. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next month.